Well, it is exciting. This is an exciting season because we have grad chapels again. Oh, this is so awesome. So we haven't had grad chapels in a couple of years. And so this is a wonderful, wonderful tradition that we have. Um, yeah, I remember it as a student. Um, all of the grads and the nervousness that gets felt and the excitement that's in the air. And it is a real honor and a joy um, to have our grads that, you know, they've committed so many years, so many papers, been faithful to the, what the Lord has been doing in their lives, and now have this great opportunity to be able to speak to their peers. And let me tell you, talking to your peers is tough. It's tough. And so um, I want to say thank you to all of our grads who have agreed to say and had said yes to this challenge to preach here in our grad chapel. I know that God is going to speak through our grads. Um, I'm so grateful for them and for uh, what's ahead in their lives. So without further ado, I'd like to call up Brad this morning, who's going to kick us off. Yeah. Can I pray for you? Yeah. So let's pray for Brad as he begins to speak this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for Brad. God, I thank you for what you have been doing in his life here at Summit. Lord, I thank you for um, how you've been speaking to him through your word. And God, I pray that um, what you have deposited in his life would come through clearly to us. Uh, would you encourage our souls and challenge us, challenge us this morning through Brad? Amen. Thank you very much, Kim and Gavin, for this wonderful opportunity to be able to speak in front of all of you. Gavin and I were joking around earlier before the service. So in case you don't know, Gavin was my old youth pastor back when I was, yeah, you know, this was back when his hair was on his head and didn't migrate all to his face. So yes, believe it or not, Gavin had hair. Mind-blowing. I know. So we were joking earlier that because I've had him as a youth pastor, now as a campus pastor, I've had the major flex of being able to say I've heard him preach the most out of anybody. And I think that's great. And so this is maybe a little bit of payback, so to say, for all of those years. So yes, it is an honor to be able to speak in front of all of you to open up this grad chapel, even though I feel like I'm technically cheating because I'm not actually gradding this spring. I'm, I know. I, so all of you who are going to be here next year, I'll be here for another semester. You get to see my face. Some of you professors are probably shaking your head in shame, but that's okay. So because this guy was my mentor, just a little housekeeping. I'm Pentecostal at heart. I like feedback. Don't be afraid to say, amen. Where's Raiden? Give me a somebody. 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 So seriously, it helps, also helps you to know that I haven't put you to sleep. So that's also kind of important. Uh, this is usually the part where the guest speaker like says, here's my family. You know, I'm like, I'm, no, I, I'm not married. I don't got no kids. Um, so there's going to be no picture. There's going to be no picture. But, but she, she didn't know I was going to do this. I do have a very nice significant other sitting here in the front row. So I thought I'd give her a little shout out before we get going. So yes. I get to help carry on this series through Joshua, which is so cool. And Joshua is such an incredible book. Uh, just seeing how Joshua, in the situation that he found himself in, was able to carry himself as a leader. I just think it's, there's so many good lessons that we get to take from it. So, yes, we are crossing 
the Jordan today. We are, uh, we are 40 years of in the wilderness. You know, most people are dead. Now it's a whole new generation. And we are going into the promised land, finally. And so I hope you brought your water wings, your life jackets, your boats, if you're rich enough to have those. In that case, I'm, yeah, no more floods, right? So we are going into the promised land today, so I hope you are ready. But before we get going, I need to tell a quick story about myself. So if any of you know me, this might be a confession time. I like to talk to talk a lot. I like to sound bigger and tougher than I am. You know, I don't know if anybody else is like that out there. You probably won't admit it because you'd like to talk to talk. Anyways, when I was about 12, again, if any of you know me, I love roller coasters. You can have the highest one. The, I don't care. It's the fastest. It's amazing. Ontario, you guys won with Canada's Wonderland. I will say that. I had the experience of experiencing that for the first time this summer, and it was a spectacular experience. I won't repeat what I said at the top of some of the drops because reasons, but if you would like, uh, I can technically give you context after this, so feel free to come. So this whole talk-to-talk mentality, I, I had it when I was young too, so imagine little Brad running around when he was 12. My family had the opportunity to go to Disneyland, not Disney World, Disneyland. And if you know about Disneyland, they have one roller coaster, like the really, really big one. I think it, at the time it was called California Screaming. Now I think it's called like what? The Incredibles Coaster? Does anybody know? I don't know. But anyways, so when I was 12, I hated roller coasters. I actually couldn't even look at them without being scared. But me talking the talk from our hotel room, we could see the roller coaster. And I could be like, easy. I could do that in my sleep. You know, I could probably go on that roller coaster backwards with my eyes closed. You know, talking a big game, especially to my older sister who loves roller coasters. Anyways, we go to this one part of the park near the end of our trip. And I knew the time was coming where I was going to have to face the beast, you know, this roller coaster. And so I get in line. Yeah, oh, you're still talking. Oh, yeah, big tough. Oh, I can do this easy. But that little seed of doubt of like, what am I doing? Started to grow more and more and more. But I couldn't show that because, you know, strong. I couldn't show weak in front of my sister. Got to be the big younger brother that's always there. And so we waited in line probably about half an hour until we get to the front of the line. We are literally the next people in line. The train goes. I can, I'm watching as the other one comes closer in probably about a minute it, or it took. It probably felt like an eternity. So they come off, they open up the gate, the restraints, and people leave. I knew it was time to get on. So what do I do? Put my head down, and I walked right back out the entrance. I didn't end up going on the ride. I chickened out at the very last minute. Uh, that led to years of ridicule from my older sister about that one. So I still got to get her back. I'm still taller than her, stronger than her. Don't tell her this, better looking than her. But that's okay. That's personal opinion and bias. So. If any of you know my older sister, which none of you do, okay, there are a few who do know. That's, uh, I didn't think that one through. Oh, Jerry's got, Jerry knows my parents too. This is a real awkward now. <laughs> but anyways, I talked to talk, but I wasn't able to back it up by walking the walk. You know, it's a lesson that we all learn at some point. If you're going to talk to talk, you better walk the walk. You know, or else you're going to get pummeled and ridiculed and made fun of for a while. 
coming from experience. And this is what I love about Joshua. Not only does he talk the talk, he very much walks the walk. What does God tell him in Joshua 1, like we went through last week? To be strong and courageous, you know. He had to now communicate this with an entire nation of people. Oh, don't worry, we got to be strong and courageous. Even though they're a bunch of hillbillies going into a country that they are very, very undermatched. They should be frightened and scared and all this. And now Joshua has this amazing opportunity, probably not in his mind, but to now communicate with a whole bunch of people, hey, don't be scared. I think that's why God says it three times in Joshua 1. Because he knew that Joshua was going to be tested. He knew that Joshua was going to have come to this pinnacle moment, this pinnacle road, where he was going to have to choose to be strong and courageous and to communicate that with the Israelites. Be strong and courageous. Not just be a little strong. Don't just say it, but you're going to have to act it out because you're now the leader. You're now the big honcho. You know, people look to you now. Before this, people looked to Moses, not Joshua. Moses was the leader. But in the context of Joshua now, Moses is dead. And so I'm, if you take notes, I like to title my sermon today called Crossing into Calling. Give you a second to write that down. We're going to be looking through. So technically the story of Joshua and crossing the Jordan kind of takes place over two chapters, three and four. I'm just going to focus primarily on verses 9 through 17 where we really see the actual evidence of walking across the Jordan. So a little bit more context for you again in case you missed last week or haven't read Joshua or taken Mark Hawk's piss lit class. Moses is dead. Rip. He's gone. You know, it's real tragic, real sad. He is he a great leader, but he made some mistakes, which cost him at the end. And so now Joshua is both is called to lead both by God and by Moses. So his calling is secure. The Israelites know he is the successor. He is the one who's going to lead them. But that doesn't mean that the Israelites are still not mourning. They're not still upset, scared, confused. They kind of know the task that they kind of have to do. But Joshua has to lead. But what's great is, unlike the first time the spies went into the promised land, these spies came back with a better report. So if you remember from Joshua 2 in the whole spies is the Rahab episode, the land is filled with fear. That is what Rahab says to the spies. We know that your God is with you. The time is right for the Israelites to enter into the land because news has spread into the promised land of what has been happening east of the Jordan. What the Israelites have been doing and their ability to conquer land, even though they're under match, hurt the, the people knew. The Canaanites, the Hittites, and all the other ites out there knew what was about to happen. And in a land that's very, they, they liked their God, and in the culture of the time, your God, if you're winning battles, it's because you found favor with your God, and your God was bigger than the other gods. And so they were thinking, shoot, this, these Israelites, their God is really big and really strong. We kind of have to be afraid because if his God is stronger, we're out. And so there's a lot of panic going around. And so the time was right to cross and to get into the promised land. There's confusion amongst the land. People were scared. And so the time was right. And so that's where we find ourselves in Joshua 3. 
They're ready to cross. They're ready to go. Are you ready to go? Well, I hope so, because I'm about to read it. So if you're not, then I'm not slowing down for you. So I believe I'll have the words on the screen. There it is. I, do, I still encourage you, though, to bring your physical Bibles, even though we provide Scripture for you. There's something so great about being able just to hold the physical Bible. You know, there's a lot of countries where you would be persecuted and most likely killed for carrying this around. So abuse that privilege. Seriously, carry this around with you wherever you go. Like Doc Coates always says, be ready to preach, pray, or die at a moment's notice. And it's much easier to do it when you have a physical Bible in your hand. All right, Joshua 3, verse 9. Here we go. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. So powerful, Lord of all the earth. I don't have time to go into that, but that's such a powerful statement. Lord of all the earth. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a, at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water is flowing down the sea of the Arabia, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. While all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is alive and that your word continues to speak to us. Even though this story, this event happened thousands of years ago, I thank you that the lessons that we can learn are still applicable to us today. Lord, open our hearts, open our minds to what you want to say, Lord, in the way that you want to speak to us. Give this in all your name. Amen. So, water. There's a lot of it in the Jordan, especially at flood season. So the time was right, but the season didn't seem right. It was flood season. The water was high. The water was rushing. Just a little, in case you didn't know, the Jordan River uh, oh, actually turned out better than I thought it was going to. I thought the picture was not going to turn out, but here we are. So it's about, the river is about 250 kilometers long from Mount Heron to the Dead Sea. Just for some context, the Fraser River here in BC is 1,300 kilometers. The Nile River, which is from the land they just came from, 6.6 kilometers long. This is not a large river at all. This is, in comparison, a pretty small, significant portion of water. But it was still water nonetheless. Now, unfortunately, it's at flood season. Scholars try to prove Bible stuff all the time and try to figure out exactly where the Jordan, where they crossed, how deep, how wide, because that matters to our faith. Um, the, the Jordan, it's hard to say exactly how deep, how wide 
the Jordan was because of just damming from, and I'm not cursing, the actual dam that they built. That and sedimentation, in case you don't know, when water is ripping through, uh, the uh, sediments, so the soil and all that, it shape, shapes the river. If you go down to the Fraser River, you take a picture of it today, I guarantee you in like four or five months, it will be completely different when you go back. That's just how water works. And so scholars, they estimate yeah, it was probably about 100 to 120 feet wide. So again, not an insane distance, but it's a distance nonetheless. And the water was, they estimate, over 12 feet deep. So it's, it's, they have, something has to happen for them to cross. They can't just walk across. And so, as we can see, this is difficult. This is where Joshua's going to have to prove, hey, are you, are you really going to be strong and courageous in the Lord? Are you really going to trust me? Now, Joshua is one of two people who saw the Red Sea encounter. So this is already the second time since Israel left Egypt that they've encountered water, a body of water that they're going to have to cross. Now, it's different in this as, if you recall, from the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea, however you pronounce it or want to say it. That episode, they're being chased. They're being, the Egyptians are coming after them. You remember the whole Exodus story. I hope you do anyways. Um, yeah, and so, but this time, they're ready to be the ones invading. So it's a kind of a different men mentality. With the Red Sea, they're like, oh shoot, we are going to die if we don't get across. Well, in this mindset, they're like, well, I guess if we don't go over now, you know, that's okay. We can camp here for a while. You know, we've been camping for a while. So we'll just wait until the flood season drops. But like I said, the land was filled with fear. The time was right. That's so important. The time was right for them to enter. And so it's so cool that in this story, we see that God, and this is my first point, is that God can work in more than one way. The episode of the Red Sea and the Jordan and how they cross are entirely different. Recall back to Exodus at the Red Sea. What, how does God separate the sea? He tells Moses to go in front of the water with his staff, and it spread apart. You can recall the account. Cool, amazing. I would love to see that. Just a giant ball of water. This is not the case with the Jordan. Joshua, who's the leader, he has very little to do with actually the parting of the sea. He just has to be the mouthpiece. That's the easy part. It's the priests who have the hard job. And what's so important is that Joshua probably remembered what was Moses' downfall. If you recall, Moses' downfall is that he struck the rock that second time, right? He struck the rock and was told to speak to it. Because Moses knew and was frustrated in that he went back to the old reliable. He knew how God was worked in the past, and he just stuck with that. He didn't want to listen, or at least I, hope, I think he didn't want to listen, or just didn't think of it. Right? He just thought, this is how God works. In my frustration, I'm just going to rely on this. And that ended up being his downfall. Now, I'm sure Joshua remembered that. I'm sure Joshua, who was probably a big admirer of Moses, remembered that his downfall was that he didn't listen to God. He went back to old reliable. Now, even though it's tough to listen to God when he's giving us a new instruction, that it's actually better to do so because it's, guess what? God can't be contained, contained into a box. God is God for a reason. He can work in miraculous ways that we can't even think about, which is so cool. So I, I just ask, how often do we miss out on what God's doing in our lives and the lives of people around us because we are so focused on looking for a specific miracle 
or a specific aspect of God to show up? How often do we miss out on God's presence, what God is trying to say, because we just disregard it because it's not what we want to hear? My man. So I have a confession to make. At Spiritual Emphasis Days, going into that Wednesday night, I came in with certain expectations of how God was going to move. I knew the Spirit was going to be here. I was expecting prayer and healings and people to be filled with the Spirit. I'll be honest, when they asked the people who haven't been baptized with the Spirit to stand up on chairs, I got worried because if they're going to be slain in the Spirit, that's a tough fall and we've got another issue to pray for. And so in my mind, that's what I was coming in with. But that's not at all what actually took place. What happened at Spiritual Emphasis Days completely blew my mind. People were released from chains I couldn't even think of. Seeing us pray as a corporate body like that, I was not expecting that. Yet God moved in such a miraculous way. I could have left Spiritual Emphasis Days like, oh God, I didn't see some guy, you know, or some girl with like a broken arm get healed. You know, I could have left with that disappointment. But that's not how God wanted to work. And I had to remind myself of that. You know, we can't put God in a box as much as we want to. And so I mentioned that the, the people who are probably the most responsible, besides God, for this, and I, the two people I want to spend the rest of this time on are the priests. The priests who had to physically carry the ark and walk into the water while the water was still rushing. And so my second point is, it's more of a question really, is who's your priest? Who's the priest in your lives? The people, the Israelites, they could have tried to swim across the Jordan. I don't quite know how well of swimmers they were. I don't think they were Olympic star swimmers. I think, and I could be wrong with this. Mark Cox, please correct me. But I don't think the Israelites were really, really good swimmers. If they tried to swim across, they most likely would have drowned and died. That that's was... I couldn't find an exact statistic of how fast the Jordan would have been at the time, but it would have been fast enough where unless you were a really, really good swimmer, you were going to get swept away. And you would have been swept away, and yeah, you would have had RIP next to your name as well. And so the people needed people who were obedient to God. The priests were specifically called to be leaders. Not the leader, not Joshua or Moses, but they're called to lead in a religious sense. And so we need people like that too. People who are willing to take that step of faith, the step of obedience, into the rushing water in order for us to be able to enter into our promised land. Students, I just want you to take a look around right now. There's some in the back, here in the front. We got some, even in the back corner over there. Front two, you're welcome, Jerry. We got some amazing, amazing, and they didn't pay me to do this. We got some amazing faculty who have done just that. They, in their lives, in their stories, in their testimonies, their academics, their just life experience, they have taken steps of faith and obedience into that water for us. They have allowed us the chance to cross into our promised land, whatever that may be. Right? These people are revolutionary people for us. You know, it's such a... I, such a privilege to be able to be able to go to Dr. Dave Demchuk, a renowned Pauline theologian, and to be able just to go into his office and just ask him questions about prophetic ministry and how it's applicable in modern day churches. 
The fact that I get to go to, I get to text someone like Doug on a random weekend say, hey, Doug, I know this person, you know, their grandparent is close to death. How do I pass through this situation? Or to go up to Gavin for mentoring because I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to lead. I don't know how to lead a student body. I have no idea. To go, and I go to these people, why? Because they have experience in this. And they're willing to showcase that experience. If there are leaders in your life who are not willing to give you the time and day to teach you about what it means to be in ministry, to be the leaders, to be the best counselors, move on. They're not stepping into the river for you. Make sure you have people in your lives who are willing and care enough about you that they're willing to step into the water with you, that they've gone before you, and they are going to stay there until you cross. And this is for all aspects of life. Ladies in here, don't go to the old geezers who say you can't be in ministry. No. Go to people who say, hey, you are called, go into ministry. Go to those female pastors who are already there in the battle, in the trenches, and get experience from them. Seriously, use this opportunity to learn. As soon as you say, I have nothing left to learn, you immediately shoot yourself in the foot for success in ministry. That's when narcissism comes in. That's when we become problematic. Couples, if you want to do ministry together, but you don't know how to do it, there's plenty of pastors out there. We just have the McFadden's here who are in ministry together as a couple, go to them. If you're, you want to go to academics, go to people like Dave, like Alf, like Doc, like all these professors who have gone before you and have studied them. Why? Because they have experience. Because they've gone into the water before us. It's not a sign of weakness when we go to them for help. If anything, it's a sign of strength that you want to grow and you want to continue to grow. If you want to get stronger, you go to the gym and you lift weights. This is our version of lifting weights. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she was pregnant with Jesus, who does she go to in the Christmas story? She goes to Elizabeth. Why? Because she has experience with being with a miracle pregnancy. Go to people in your lives. Find priests who are willing to invest in your life. I say priests metaphorically. Don't have to be pastors. Counselors, go to counselors who have been in the struggle, who know how to help students or teens or couples. Go to these people. It's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of weakness. And for my last point, I'm going to flip the script here. We need priests, but we're also called to be priests in this situation. So who are you a priest for? Yes, Jesus, but what impact, humanly impact, are you going to have on people's lives? The fact that you are here studying, even for one year, gives you an advantage over so many people, not to hold over them, but a responsibility to lead them, using the experience we have gained to lead them. Why do we learn doctrine and theology? Because we need to understand this word and be able to communicate it properly with people. Why do we learn how to be proper pastors and proper counselors? Because we're called to a form of leadership that we need training for, that we are being called to go. The priests were specifically called. Each and every one of us has a specific call on our lives to go into ministry in some way or another. I don't care if it's counseling in the marketplace, youth ministry, children's ministry, seniors ministry, chaplaincy, I don't care. We're all called to ministry. and We're all called to be priests for people. So what impact are we going to 
make. And I'm going to say something that might offend some of you, so forgive me, but I think it's so applicable. If you, as a leader, whatever field you want to go into, if you are not willing to get into the water, if you're not willing to get your hands dirty, if you're too scared about getting your new Air Jordans dirty or chipping your nails in the hardships of ministry, why are you going into ministry? Ministry is hard. Ministry is tough. Ministry is being down in the muck, in the gunk, walking into that river that's still flowing. Ministry is just not running through a meadow with a bunch of flowers. Yeah, there are good times in ministry, but how often, ask Doug, how often is uh, ministry tough, difficult? You're in the muck with people. Yes, question. Every day, we are called to be leaders. We are called to be leading. We are called to talk the talk and walk the walk. We are called, I don't care where you're from, I don't care where you're going. Acts 2, what does it say at the end? To the outermost parts of the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, outermost parts. That could be Victoria, Abbotsford, Nanaimo, Chilliwack, Surrey, Richmond, Fort St. John, Edmonton, Calgary, Manitoba and the prairies, Ontario, could be Ottawa, Toronto, Toronto area, Niagara, Thunder Bay, the Maritimes. I don't know where you are being called, but we're all being called somewhere. And we're all being called to go and to be the hands and feet of Christ, being willing to walk into the water with God. You know, I'm going to invite the band to come up just here, just as we close. What's important about this is, yeah, we're called to be priests, but at the end of the day, what was in the middle? What was in the middle of the river? The Ark of the Covenant. We may be called to ministry, but we need the presence of God with us. The presence of God was with Israel before they crossed, and it was there when they finished crossing. God did not give up on people. God did not give up halfway through the miracle, halfway through the calling. He didn't. He didn't. God's presence was there beginning and at the end. Imagine what life would be like if every day we prayed what Moses prayed in Exodus. Lord, do not send us up from this place without your spirit. Imagine what ministry would be like where we're not looking at ourselves of how can I can be better, but we're looking at it as a God, how can you use me to make to be a leader, to be an example for others, to lead them into the promised land? God's presence must be with us. God's presence must be with us. If you go and try to do ministry without the presence of God, good luck. I wish you all the best. I don't know about you, but I want to go into ministry with the presence of God in the center of my heart and of my ministry. When life is tough, in the good times, God is there. In the good times where it's easy, God is speaking to the Israelites, do not be afraid. And in the tough times when you say, yeah, don't be afraid because guess what? I got you. I'm there in the river with you. I'm there in the center with you. I don't know your calling. I don't know your story. But we're all called to be leaders in one way or another. We're all called 
to have the presence of God in us, through us, and around us. We are called to be examples for Christ. We are called to be people who are not afraid to go into, the ministry, to go into ministry when it's tough. We are called to be people who talk to talk and walk to walk, not on our own strength, but because we have the living word of God, which promises that he will be with us. He was with us yesterday. He will be with us today. Guess what? He's going to be with you in the future when life's tough. When ministry has you down, guess who's going to be there in the middle? God's going to be there in the middle with you. He's going to be in your river. And so it's going to take, I know we're wrapping up here and we got lunch to go to. But I don't want to rush on what the Lord is. I don't want to be rushing like the river. No, I want to be still and hear what the Lord is saying. So I want you just to take a few minutes. The band's just going to quietly strum behind you here. I just want you to listen to the Spirit. Maybe you need to, maybe you need to remind yourself that, guess what, God's still moving even when it doesn't seem like he is. Maybe you need to realize that, hey, I've been so stubborn, I need to learn from people. I need to get out of my comfort zone. I need to be less introverted, even though I'm an introvert too. I know how that feels. And to actually go and to be able to ask questions if you have it. Or I need you to ask yourself, who are you a priest for? Is the life that you're living right now opening up a pathway for people to walk into the presence of God, into their promised land? So just take a few minutes here. And we'll come up and close this in a second. in our sinful ways, Lord, we just come to you with open hearts and open arms and just we just say, Lord, 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 we trust you. You are our strength. You are our confidence. Lord, help us to apply that command that you gave to Joshua. For have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Lord, remind us that you are saying the same things to us, Lord. You are telling us, not as a feel-good thing, because you are calling us into positions that are going to be tough where we're going to need to be strong and courageous, where we can't do it on our own, where we need you, Lord, to be our strength, to help give us courage. Lord, remind us that it's not shameful to ask these things, that you're a good father. 
You're not going to look down upon us when we ask these things and mock us for how, how, you not, how do you not have that? But no, no Lord, you are gracious. And you're willing. And you want us to come and to confess these things. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that as we leave, that you would continue to speak these things into our lives, Lord. May you, Spirit, may you continue to teach us and to guide us, Lord. Remind us of the ways that you are working, even when it seems impossible, even when we can't think of it. Remind us that you are working in us, through us, and around us. Help us to be obedient. Continue to give people in our lives that we can trust on, that we can lean on, people that we can learn from because they've been through that river already. I pray you bless them for their obedience, and Lord, may we be aware of that. Give us discernment as well. If there's people in our lives who are not speaking truth, to our lives, who are hurting us, who are damaging us, who are speaking falsely into our lives. Give us the discernment to be able to see that out, Lord, and provide us with the people who are actually going to lift us up in whatever ministry we're going into. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to equip us to be the priest that you were calling us to be in this story, Lord, in this grand narrative that you were playing out in this world, Lord. It's an honor to be a part of your story, Lord, and I pray that we would all be obedient when you are calling us to take those steps of faith, to not be afraid of the hardships or the muck or the dirt of ministry, of counseling, of non-for-profit leadership, whatever it may be. But Lord, give us the strength and courage to be obedient to take that step of faith. Lord, I'm sorry for the times where I wasn't obedient, where I didn't take that step of faith. Lord, forgive me for that. Forgive us all for those times where we didn't take that step of faith continue to equip us for the work of the ministry Lord help us to carry out your vision and your truth and your light into the world no matter how hard or how difficult it may be for the time is right now for us to go into to cross our Jordans whatever it may be the time is right for us to go help us not just to stay on this hill no 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 help us to go into the world into our Jerusalems, our Judeans, our Samarias, our outermost parts of the world. Lord, lead us and guide us through it all. And Lord, may we do this with your presence. Always, always may we do this with your presence. Lord, we pray what Moses did. May we not leave this place. May we not get up from these chairs without your presence and your spirit going with us, going before us. Lord, we want to do nothing without your love, without your presence guide us and continue to teach us. Continue to just teach us as we continue to go through this Joshua series. Lord, open our eyes and our minds to the leaders that you are calling us to be. And what happens when we're obedient to your word and to your voice? God, we thank you for this. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. Amen. I'm sorry I kept you guys over three minutes, but that's okay. Uh, I don't know if you guys want to say anything, but uh, you're dismissed. Go have lunch. I don't know what it is, but God bless you. God be with you.